Coming up on Stu Does America, we know exactly who the majority of the psychos were that invaded the Capitol during the QAnon riots. And yet some mystery remains as to the identity of some of the instigators in the crowd. Faithwire's Dan Andros is here to dive into the insane story of John Sullivan. And Bill Maher, of all people, has a reasonable take on the violence in the Capitol. Can it be? Well, far be it from me to stop a broken clock from being right twice a day. So we'll look at Bill's comments as well. Thanks for coming back for another week of Stu Does America. Have you shared the show with your friends and family yet? Just send them over to stewdoesamerica.com where they can watch the show completely free through YouTube, Facebook, or listen on podcasts, whatever. Or ask them about subscribing to Blaze TV. To get the latest deal, head to blazetv.com slash stew and enter the promo code stew. Why? Because that's how they know. You like this stupid show, and for a limited time, you'll save 30 bucks off your cost. Has it ever been a more important time to support conservative media than right now? It's probably going to be a pretty crappy week, so let's bask in the comfort of some good news as we do vaccines and hope. Stu does America. Here's something you're not going to hear anywhere else in the known universe. I might, and I stress might, I might have a little, tiny, itty-bitty, microscopic bit of good news for you today. Mm-hmm. Might. And if you're looking for something that I'm sure of, I've got lots and lots and lots and lots of charts. Who doesn't like a good graphapalooza to start the week? Conservators unite! With the inauguration around the corner, and while they still allow conservatives to occasionally speak in public... Let's take a look at where we stand on our most unwelcome house guest, COVID-19. Thanks to Operation Warp Speed and capitalism, we now have a couple of vaccines that look like they are remarkably effective. We've heard studies talking about 95, 98% effective rates, but is that true? Well, some good news on that front. The initial results from Israel's implementation look really good. 98% of participants develop the antibodies that fight off COVID. And it appears that not only can they not get COVID, they also can't spread it. Good. And despite the fact that you're not hearing one word about it, Israel is the most important story in the world right now. Bigger than the capital, bigger than BLM, bigger than, or at least tied with, the re-release of nacho fries at Taco Bell. Why Israel? Because they are vaccinating their population at levels that are blowing the rest of the world away. So far in the United States, we've given the vaccine to something like 4% of the population. It's a lot of people because we're a big country, but it's a small share of the population. But when you put it up against Israel, wow! As you can see how far behind we are. Israel has already vaccinated about 29% of the country, meaning if this thing works and there's every reason to believe it does, we're going to see its effects there before anywhere else. Now, 29% sounds great, but once you're vaccinated, of course, takes between 10 days to several weeks before it fully kicks in. And epidemiologists estimate, uh, estimate that you're you know, not going to see a noticeable effect with the vaccine until you're about 50% vaccinated as a country. So we've got some time still before this stuff really kicks in. But if we see a drop in new cases, and more importantly, no major new outbreaks, we might be very close to overpaying for crappy movies and eating popcorn with 1,200% profit margins once again. Won't that be wonderful? 
And we need some good news. I mean, loss in the election and the aftermath is the fact that we are in the middle of the worst part of this pandemic. There's no individual place that is as bad as Cuomo's New York was in April. But we have a lot of areas suffering through bad periods at the same time. We've talked about this poll from March several times. 87% of people believed, uh, uh, estimated that uh, they believed that coronavirus would kill less than 10,000 people, like in its entirety, no more than 10,000. Well, more than twice that amount were killed in just the last week alone. This thing is a bitch, man. It's easy to look back and make fun of the 18% of people who thought less than 100 people would die. But like, that was every one of these things until COVID. There was always some strange Asian virus that was going to wipe us all out. And with the exception of Pokemon, none of them ever materialized. Some of the data used to measure COVID is hard to rely on. Testing goes up and down on the holidays. Case reporting depends a lot on how many tests they run and when they report them. And a lot of these cases are asymptomatic, like my own. I mean, as you may know, I'm a COVID-19 survivor. Uh, and, you know, I'm not... I'm not doing that to get your sympathy, but I am incredibly brave. Even reporting of deaths takes time and can be delayed. And it's also a lagging indicator anyway. It basically shows how bad things were, not how bad things are. The best thing to look at for what is happening right now is current hospitalizations. And here is where we find the smallest, tiniest, microscopic, little, itsy-bitsy bit of possible good news, maybe. The pandemic has come in three waves. The first one, mainly in Cuomo land. The second, mainly in the south. And this one, mainly everywhere. The first Cuomo land wave rose quickly and topped out around 60,000 hospitalizations. Then there was the second wave that came, and it too topped out right about 60,000 hospitalizations. But the third wave has blown them all away. As for last week, we were up to, uh, in the area, about 130,000 hospitalizations. It's a chart that looks like my weight over the past year. And like my weight, that third wave is just a straight line up. You'll notice that there is no, you know, there's not ups and downs along the way. It's just up and then up and then more up and more up after that. But unlike my weight over the past year, there's a little bit of hope. Get super close to your screen for a second. Adjust your eyesight. Squint just a little bit and look at the top right of that chart. Let's zoom in on it. <laughs> there it is. Do you see what I see? I see a little bit of a drop. Could it be that we've hit a peak? Maybe so. Just maybe so. That little blip doesn't look like much, but as I mentioned, hospitalization numbers are pretty smooth generally. They don't have the ups and downs like the other stats. And that's a 6% drop off from the highest number. It broke a streak of over 100 consecutive days of the average rising. Look, the country is about to fall apart and there's a you know, band of pseudo-socialists hanging out promising to help. God only knows what that means. This is what passes for good news these days. Who knows? Maybe this is some sort of data quirk or maybe there's new strains of the virus and they'll come in and screw everything up all over again. But for the moment, maybe, just maybe, we're on the right side of this thing. I know it doesn't sound like much, but like my weight, the only thing we can do is hope or eat a salad. But that sounds worse than the pandemic.
So ever since the Capitol incident occurred, there was an immediate jump by some people on the right to say, this is Antifa. Uh, this is crazy. This is just a bunch of Antifa people posing as Trump supporters. And that's obviously ridiculous. What evidence do you have that Antifa could possibly be violent? Uh, they're just an idea, after all. And so I don't know how they could possibly do anything wrong. I mean, there is something to this, though. It's like we've seen, I mean, we go back to the, the Tea Party days, hundreds of, of rallies, and I'm, I don't remember any of them uh, turning violent. Uh, I remember a couple of incidents, you know, maybe late nights uh, where, I don't know, Proud Boys or whatever were fighting with Antifa, but like, there's never been a mass thing like this, at least that I can remember. And you can kind of understand how you, people who look at Trump supporters see them, you know, praying and holding flags for 500 rallies in a row, might be a little skeptical that they would immediately turn and start to, you know, ransacking the Capitol. Now, we've since been able to go through a lot of the people who are there, and many of them are like hardcore Trump supporters. Uh, some of them are sort of Internet celebrity level uh, Trump supporters. Many of them have long records of supporting uh, Trump, um, which is, you know, somewhat uh, of, a, of a media sort of. Um, uh, thing to highlight, right? Like it's not the most important part of this story, uh, but it is something that they focused on. Uh, another thing they focused on, though, is uh, that there's no truth at all to the idea that left-wing people were there. And this is an amazing thing that the media does. They, they look for any excuse to, to, uh, to, to, to force all of the blame onto the right and avoid all the blame of the left. And there's really no need to do that. There's a specific case here that I'm talking about, and this is one of the first cases that we've seen so far among the riot. Uh, Dan Andros is the managing editor of faithwire.com. Uh, you can check out Faithwire's website, subscribe to their YouTube channel as well. Uh, got a podcast going on as well. Dan, uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you caught this, I think, uh, one of the, you're the first people that I saw catch this, particularly how it relates to PolitiFact and this guy who was at the riot, John Sullivan. Yeah, and uh, Stu, of course, we've had a long history of uh, calling out PolitiFact, and they just drive me nuts <laughs> uh, to begin with. So whenever I see Facebook using them uh, as a fact checker, I usually go check it out just because I'm interested to see the spin. Um uh, this one was particularly egregious. And so um, what they did was they found a meme uh, that was posted. This was, I think, posted a day after um, the the Capitol riot. And it said, uh, anti-Trump founder of radical left wing group Insurgents USA, John Sullivan incited insurgents of U.S. Capitol. Uh, and then if you go to that post still, there is a warning on that page that says missing context. Independent fact checkers say this information could mislead people. And then you click on it and you get to this screen here that shows the PolitiFact post that says PolitiFact um, said wrongly Facebook post wrongly claims uh, that that a left wing activist and Antifa were inciting violence. So mm. uh, you see how they add Antifa in there, Stu. That's the first red flag there. The post here that we just read doesn't say anything about Antifa. Uh, at all. So there's a little sleight of hand right there. The, the actual longer post goes on and on and explains about Antifa. But even after this guy, John Sullivan, the guy in question, was arrested, um, they still downplayed that and said, well, the affidavit doesn't say that he led the mob. Well, that that's not what the claim says. It claims it says he incited the mob. And when you see it on tape, uh, he said he clearly says in there, you know, we're going to burn this expletive. This is our house. You know, we're getting this expletive. Um, they explain that away, Stu, by saying it was not clear if the comment was directed at um, 
or two or heard by any specific person or people. Uh, that's how they get around it. So and and also uh, the other one that they say, Stu, and then we'll, we'll look at a video clip from this guy, how they could not know this is beyond me. Uh, they say there's no there's no evidence that he incited the insurgents insurgents alone. No one's claiming he incited it alone. There, the meme doesn't um, say that at all. It just right. says he that he incited it. Nobody the, made that claim. They yeah. just add that in there to make their claim to be able, I guess, to say mostly false, as it still says today. Um, and they said uh, he just uploaded video to show the, his perspective as he filmed. Well, as you can see, this guy has a history of being uh, very pro, it appears, violence. And so I think you guys have a clip. Why don't you show that one? Yeah, this is from uh, Black, the Black Lives Matter era here uh, on uh, CNN. Watch. What's going on, everybody? My name's John Sullivan. I'm from Salt Lake City, Utah. My group is Insurgents USA. We about to burn this down. This Who, anybody out here seeing that white militia guy shoot three, ki three kids? Yeah, this is me. Yeah, that guy. And I will tell you this is in Utah, a whole bunch of white militia came out there, formed against our group. We out there strapped. We out there ready to burn that down. We out there to defend ourselves. We got to defend ourselves now, too. We do. Because power to the people. Power to the people. Power to the people. Wow, this, this guy sounds really uh, right wing. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, and he also, he also goes on there, Stu, and that clip is a long clip, but. He goes on to say, we can't wait till the election. We have to drag President Trump out of the office physically. So so to sit there and say the whole point of showing that is to say, how can PolitiFact sit here and say he's just filming? He's just he's not inciting anyone. <laughs> Clearly, that's what this guy believes. OK, so let's so to boil this down here for a second, we have um, a person who a meme claims is a left wing activist inciting a riot. Then we right. have that guy on tape as a left wing activist previous to this rally and we yeah, have and, him and, and, on tape and inciting cooper. the riot yeah and anderson cooper called him a left-wing activist cnn called him a left-wing activist so that you could verify it that way mm -hmm. and he's on tape inciting it with his words the claim still today Stu, on their page is mostly false Mostly this, false. This, and again, the claim is anti-Trump founder of radical left wing group Insurgents USA, John Sullivan, incited insurgents of U.S. Capitol. And if you look at incited, I, I was like, well, maybe they incited means the first person to lead. the. Like I was trying to come up with a way <laughs> right. that they were defining this. I mean, it just it just means encouraged. I mean, and, and yeah. he had, he cheered it on throughout. You can hear him saying, uh, burn this down. Go, go, go. He, he says all these things. He's not just a, pa a person who's passively filming it. He is encouraging it throughout. And obviously he's an a agent of chaos, as he's as he's shown in the previous videos. You know, I mean, it, it doesn't he's clearly a left wing guy. And the fact this is what I guess what really interests me about this, as, as I, I saw you break this down on Twitter. It's like the media can't even allow this one thing. They can't allow even if it's just one person in the crowd, they can't allow and admit that this was a left wing person there. Now, I'm very willing to admit that uh, Trump supporters were there. 
right? I, I think everybody that I know of, and I know we've talked about this offline, Everyone I know of was horrified by this violence and recognized that a lot of these people were hardcore Trump supporters. Um, so no one's on the right is denying that. It's the left that won't say this this one guy and maybe a couple of others, because at one point he does talk to um, a another person uh, who does seem to be on the left wing as well uh, in one of his videos. But I mean, it does seem that like, why not just admit it? Why say that this is mostly false? Why are you uh, doing this when this doesn't defeat the case that this was largely a Trump supporter uh, incident? It doesn't make any sense to me. They can't give even the one grain of truth that would disagree with their premise. Yeah. And that, that's what's disturbing to me about it, Stu, is that why would they do that? And um, it, it seems to me it's more about just holding the narrative down. I think, you know, because again, the, the Trump, I wouldn't care if it was just some, you know, lib site that was just doing this on their own, but all of these social media networks and the mainstream media networks use PolitiFact and people like them as their ultimate arbiters of truth. And when they're sitting there looking at something that is demonstrably true, I mean, it's 100% verifiably true. And they're telling you it's mostly false, even linking to all of the sources. That's what blows my mind. Go to, If you go to the PolitiFact post and you look at it, they've got all the sources in there. They've got the Anderson Cooper clip where Anderson Cooper's calling the guy a left wing activist. Um, and they've got the clips of him yelling all this stuff. But they just tell you, yeah, he says all that stuff, but false. It's like I feel like I'm in some sort of mind control experiment. It's <laughs> it's frightening stuff. And now a new sort of cottage industry has popped up. Um, where left-wing people try to come up with a justification that John Sullivan was actually a right-winger posing as a left-winger. <laughs> and, right. I mean, you see him in months ago when he would have no idea this, this riot was coming, uh, that he was saying all these left-wing things. He started an organization uh, for left-wing goals. He said he was going to rip Trump out of the White House. Yet they're now coming up with this sort of like alternative history, like this fan fiction where John Sullivan is actually a Trump supporter. It's just I, I don't understand the disconnect. I mean, I don't see conservatives saying um, and there are some that I'm sure have said, you know, stuff that are that is wrong. But I don't see, I don't see conservatives saying that this was some left wing mob. This was a Trump supporting mob. Yes, it was crazy people on the Trump side, the, you know, the, the deep QAnon types. Uh, but still, like, I, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand it. I mean, I, I understand their teams and I understand that we're at that point where politics is just team sports. But, man, this is just a, an incredible example of it. Yeah, it really is. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, beyond the teams things, too, there is some of that. And I saw some some people that would be on the right trying to say, ah, this couldn't possibly be Trump. It was just Antifa. Um, and, you know, there aren't really a ton of claims of that. There are some definite left wing agitators like you see this guy clearly. Um, so you have some of that at play. But I'm very interested in this because um, I, I do think that pr the progressive left, the radical progressive left, the ones that we've you know covered over all our years together, Stu, working back when I was at the Blaze, um, you know, the Cass Sunsteins of the world, I really do believe they they don't they are okay with this kind of stuff. They are okay with making people distrust things so much that nothing is you know, nothing is true, or just keep telling them the lie enough times that it's true. Um, I, I really think they believe in that sort of stuff, and. Um, you know, again, when I see it from a supposedly authoritative source like PolitiFact, um, it's uh, it's 
I, I want to call it out because I, we can't let this stuff stand anymore because they're they're using it to try to silence conservatives. And that's really the bigger story here, right? I mean, one one left wing activist is not, you know, it doesn't necessarily change the overall the overarching story of this particular event. But what it does do is take a lot of people who are telling the truth and get them banned or uh, silenced or censored or demonetized or whatever the penalty is uh, uh, on Facebook of these days. And we're seeing this sort of crackdown on conservative speech. How concerned are you of this? Is this something where they're just going to go after the crazies or is this something where we're going to go after everybody? I'm really concerned about it, especially, I mean, faithwire.com, our parent company, CBN, the Christian Broadcast Network. You can't say things now uh, like men can't get pregnant. You can't say that stuff now without being deemed hate speech. And uh, we've talked about this, too, before, but I I've long been worried about them trying to define hate. Um, I really think that's going to be one of the key phrases you're going to see in the coming you know, weeks and months. And you know, they're going to define things as hate. They use things like the Southern Poverty Law Center. Um, you know, Facebook will use their community standards and things that are deemed hate. Uh, and they're going to start classifying us as Christians as and conservatives as hate. And they're going to just use that to justify silencing us. And um, you can see them almost overplaying their hand right now. They're having a lot of fun with this, just trying to silence everybody. I'm sure you saw the CNN clip with Brian Stelter uh, over the weekend. And uh, it's just they're eager to do this stuff. And I absolutely think they're going to widen the net. Yeah, it does seem like it's their long-term idea here. And, you know, I always think of like, you know, there's this sort of woke idea where you go after anyone's speech that uh, you disagree with. And in, in the end of the day, wokeness is weakness, right? If your ideas are good enough, you don't need to have this woke pressure to shut everybody down. You just have confidence in your ideas and you win the day. That can't happen. I mean, they keep, I guess, losing these battles over the long term. And so now they've turned to this idea that if, if you, we just don't let people hear them, then maybe we'll win. And that is not an, that's not an American way of thinking, is it? No, absolutely not. It's a progressive way of thinking because progressives, um, you know, choice architects, <laughs> mm. again, they, they think, well, people are just inherently going to make bad choices. You can't you can't let conservative networks out there like Newsmax or The Blaze and, you know, whoever else, Daily Wire uh, and having all these views and people not having well-rounded views. Well, who are you to decide what I view? But progressives think that way. They, they think they need to control what you're able to see because people just won't make good choices on their own. Therefore, we have to do it. That is not an American ideal. An American ideal is the more voices, the better. I want to support, uh, I mean, not, not support like happily, but I support your right to say something utterly obnoxious and ridiculous mm -hmm. so that we can come out and have a competition of ideas and, and uh, rightly mock things. I think free speech and the free market in the end, went out, right? Like, look at how our society has gone over time and what ideas rise to the top and survive. Is it all the crazy ideas or is it the ones that are sane? Um, but if we continue to let them suppress this stuff and just kind of try to create this environment where, I mean, it's demolition man, Stu. I, I've always said this. It's demolition man in the future when you got the little floating uh, sensors around, the little floating Alexas, you know, giving you swearing credits you know, a fine every time you swear and, you know, Sandra Bullock's out there writing up tickets for you. Mm -hmm. um, this is reality. Uh, Sandra Bullock's going to write you a ticket is basically how this ends. 
It's just how it is. It's how it is. <laughs> it's funny that, and before we go, I mean, like this social media thing. I, I started thinking about this. You know, I, I I know we both probably in this audience would agree with this. You don't want to have to go to the government for any of these solutions. I want I want something that's a free market. And so I was thinking about like Twitter or Facebook. There are plenty of ways to avoid this information, right? There are plenty of ways to avoid hate speech, right? They have all the tools built into Twitter and, and all these services to avoid it relatively easily. You can mute words, you can mute people, you can easily come up with lists of people that you think are outside of the realm of what you want to consume so you can have a better experience. There's a million different things that they have, tools they have right now to improve users' experience and avoid this nonsense. But that's not the goal. The goal isn't for me to avoid it. The goal is to shut it down so that no one can find it. It's, it, it's like if you made it just so people could control their experience and, and see the things that they wanted to see, you could improve a person's uh, experience. But like that might mean I still see things about low taxes and they don't want me to see things about low taxes. That's no, the crazy part. They want the speech to die. Yeah, they do, because low taxes are bad, Stu, and, uh, you know, harm poor people or something. I mean, I don't know what the logic is there from the left, but that's what they think. And uh, I mean, you've heard it already, the language. Uh, I think Katie Couric said it on Bill Maher over the weekend, like, how do we deprogram these people? <laughs> you guys, you shouldn't be using these language. I mean, you know where they're doing deprogramming? That's over in China where they're rounding up uh, Muslims and, you know, afraid they're radical. So they're putting them in re-education camps right now. <laughs> like this is not what you want. And um, it's uh, it is a it is a scary time for free speech. And, um, you know, speak out while you can now, because, uh, um, you know, it's I don't think it's going to be there for the long term with big tech. Eventually, they're going to widen that net, like we said, and shut it down. And I think we've talked about it, too. But I, you, we got to find other alternatives. Um, you know, maybe it's time to start talking to people in person again <laughs> instead of trying to win arguments on Twitter. I don't know. But there's got to be a better way. How dare you suggest such a thing? Um, and by the way, I will also say um, to our Chinese overlords, uh, that was Dan Andrews who said that about those camps. They seem <laughs> lovely. We've seen all the pictures on Twitter of the dancing children. They look very happy in those uh, camps uh, or uh, re-education seminars that are improving their lives. Uh, th those posts, by the way, from the Chinese government, still up on Twitter. Those are okay. But mm. apparently, uh, low taxes, very, very bad. Uh, Dan Andros, managing editor of faithwire.com. Don't forget to bookmark their website and subscribe to their YouTube channel and follow on uh, Twitter. Dan, should people follow you on Twitter? What's the best place to find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dan Andros until they delete me. Uh, they've already cut about half my followers, I think. So, <laughs> Okay. Well, I mean, that's because you had QAnon bots following you. That's, <laughs> that's why. Uh, we'll be back in a second. Thanks, Dan. So one of the more interesting people out there, I think, is Bill Maher. And the reason I say that is because every once in a long while, he says something that makes sense. And I like people like this. I like people that I can listen to or watch their show and think, you know what? I think they're an idiot on that particular point. But the next day, they might say something that I really agree with. And it makes me think, you know, maybe I'll, I'll when they bring up something that I disagree with, it makes me think maybe I'll consider it. They surprise me every once in a while. Now, Bill Maher is not exactly that person because 90 percent of the stuff he says drives me nuts. 
but there's 10% that is like actually really good. Now you could see, you've, I see this a lot with like conservatives that I listen to, where 90% of stuff I'll agree with and then 10% I'll disagree with, but because they have the credibility with me, because they've challenged me in the past or thought of a new thing, that, a new angle on something that I hadn't thought of potentially, I want to listen to them say something different. Those people are interesting. I'm not interested in the person who just tells me everything I want to hear. I'm not interested in hearing the same things that every other show is saying parroted back to me. I want to hear somebody who's going to look at something from a different perspective and think, I, and I can tell you, you know, I've talked to enough of you to know that that's one of the reasons people like coming to this show. Because I don't, I, like, there's a lot of days I come in here and I'm like, gosh, I, I don't know. I don't know if people are going to want to hear this today. You know, sometimes I say that to myself. Um, and then the person at the 7-Eleven who's staring at me, talking to myself, thinks, wow, that guy's uh, he's insane and we should call the police. But generally speaking, people like to come to this show, I think, uh, to, to hear things that sometimes maybe isn't the exact thing that every other show is talking about. And I, I don't know, that's the kind of show I want to listen to and it's the kind of show I want to do. Well, Bill Maher does this every once in a while. And I have to think that if I'm a liberal and I agree with 90% of what he says, Every once in a while, he goes off on a rant like this, and maybe it gives someone in the audience pause to think about, I don't know, a big news event in a different way. Listen to Bill Maher talking about the, uh, the whole Trump uh, QAnon Capitol riot situation. Let's not confuse 5,000 people with 74 million. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yes, even, <clears throat> even supporting the insurrection in spirit is, well, deplorable. But there's a difference between holding illiberal beliefs and acting violently on them. At least that's what they always told me about Islamic terrorism. <laughs> Mild clap from I keep wrestling on this show with the hard question of how do Americans, all of us, learn to share a country with ass you can't stand? <laughs> I've preached and still do that you can hate Trump, but not all the people who like him. And as counterintuitive as it may seem, you can like something run by ass without being one yourself. Just ask Chick-fil-A. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like, yes, right? We all should understand this, and we do understand it. I, you know, I understood it with Black Lives Matter. I didn't blame every Black Lives Matter protester for uh, burning down Minneapolis. The people who were responsible for that were responsible for it. Not everybody in, in, the, uh, in the entire movement. And, and even though those people may have been making really dumb points about police, that does not make them uh, vandals or terrorists or criminals. You know, we had um, tons of Black Lives, Matters, uh, Black Lives Matter rallies around our area here in Texas. And you know what happened? Eh. Not that much. Kind of just showed up and they did their thing and then they went home. Now, there were some really bad days in Dallas in the, in the peak of it. But generally speaking, in, in the areas surrounding Dallas, you know, there's, there's thousands of rallies around the country where nothing really notable happened. And those people aren't responsible for what happened in Minneapolis and in downtown Dallas and Seattle and Portland and all these other cities. People are responsible for their own actions. This is why it's so frustrating to see the way that they put piece together this uh, this uh, accusation of um, impeachment uh, in these cases, the uh, articles of impeachment. The to, to say it's incitement is something I think a lot different than saying, you know, Trump maybe was not telling the truth and uh, maybe was uh, leading people down the wrong road uh, rally. Uh, these people still have are still responsible for their own actions. And that is the type of thing that I think gets lost in these situations, because 
There's no benefit in blaming the guy with the horns on his head. That does no good to anybody. No, no, there's no political gain to be had by saying the QAnon shaman where it was leading a riot. It's only if you can tie that to Donald Trump or Ted Cruz or Josh Hawley that it makes any difference to anybody. And that's why that's where the power is here. They're trying to place this solely on uh, right wing officials because that's what they want. They want to hurt them. They don't actually care uh, about so much of this. Uh, but we'll keep watching this and, and see where it goes. By the way, on, on Josh Hawley. He had his book that was going to come out. It's a book about big tech. And I will say, like, I'm uh, I, I, Josh Hawley's a guy that I would listen to his argument on this stuff, but he's not really my approach. He's much more. Uh, he obviously is trying to take that mantle of the sort of populist nationalist sort of uh, right. Uh, and he's much more interested in uh, government intervention in these uh, arenas than I am. Uh, but. You know, he's a he's a big time leader of the you know up and coming leader of the Republican Party. The fact that he wrote a book about this is something that we should all see. I mean, like this is a guy who will probably run for president one day if he can if he can uh, make it happen. Shouldn't we have his book and his ideas available so we can understand what they are? Instead, I think it was was it Simon and Schuster uh, that uh, dropped the book. I think it was. Um, and yeah, Simon and Schuster canceled the book on January 7th, right after the uh, incident, because Hawley was obviously one of the people opposing the election results and, and wanting an extra investigation, as if we didn't have enough investigations already ongoing. Uh, but that was what was going on. And so Hawley got his book taken away. The book thing is so interesting to me because it's always been fundamentally the lead example as to things an illiberal. Uh, not in the uh, left-right context, but in the freedom versus, uh, you know, uh, captivity sort of context, an illiberal uh, idea to burn books. I mean, I mean, look, if you watch the documentary Indiana Jones um, and the, I think it was the first one, I don't remember, it was one of them. And they had, they're bur- the Nazis are burning freaking books. It was the third one? Uh, it was all of them. They were, the Nazis were burning books on all of them. I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen them. But they were burning books because it was the example, the very central example of things you don't do in a country like America. It's the, mo- it's the easiest thing to say. And yes, I guess they're not burning books. They're just canceling them. Well, he's got a new publisher. Uh, the Tyranny of Big Tech will be coming out uh, soon. Uh, so take a look out for that from Josh Hawley. And the Parler CEO. Parler now has their site back up, I believe. They found a new uh, uh, company to host uh, them, and the, the site is back up. Um, however, the CEO and family is in hiding after receiving death threats from all these very, and I will say, they were mostly peaceful death threats. Okay, that's that's something you need to know. Mostly peaceful death threats coming into the parlor CEO. They're in hiding, uh, and the site though is apparently back up, which at least is one teeny. This is our this is our theme today. Teeny, itsy bitsy, little bitty bits of good news. That's what we're bringing you today. Bill Maher said something kind of good. Maybe the COVID thing kind of maybe peaked. Maybe maybe the vaccinations are going not as bad as everyone's saying. And the parlor CEO is alive, which is, is good, and his site is back up. So there you go. Uh, go check it out. I guess it's at parlor.com or whatever. I, again, these, are, these shutdowns don't make any sense to me, uh, but hopefully we can get past this with uh, capitalism. Because look, as much as everyone said, like, oh, you Amazon controls all the web traffic and uh, you know, all the hosting and all the cloud services, and you can't do it without uh, Amazon. Well, Parler's found a way to do it. 
They have a company that's actually working with them. Let's hope that lasts. Back in a second. We have to turn down the capability of these conservative influencers to reach these huge audiences. There are, yeah. are people on YouTube, for example, that have a larger daytime, a larger audience than daytime CNN. Yeah. And they are extremely radical and pushing extremely uh, radical views. And so it's up to the Facebooks and YouTubes in particular to think about whether or not they want to be effectively cable networks for disinformation. And then we're going to have to figure out the OANN and Newsmax problem. You know, that these companies have freedom of speech, but I'm not sure we need Verizon, AT&T, Comcast and such to be bringing them into tens of millions of homes. Um, I, this is you know, allowing people to seek out information if they really want to, but not pushing it into their faces, I think is where we're going to have to go here. Mm. Uh, Dan Andrus mentioned this clip uh, earlier on in the program. And it's 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 exactly what he said it was. I mean, this is an outward attempt to try to censor the competition. Remember, CNN is is in competition for viewers with these uh, networks and they're coming after them. They're coming after YouTube as well. It's an interesting thing because I, I the left does not seem to even want you to hear the opposite of their viewpoint, let alone uh, actually have to debate against it. Uh, and this is the next step. So you have this idea where um, and we opposed it at the time. You know, people like Alex Jones even being thrown off of social media and all the rest. It's like, well, look, I, do I like Alex Jones? No. Do I think he's telling the truth? No. But uh, is he the type of guy who is out there um, uh, w- you know, saying things that he should be able to say? I mean, look, I, I don't like a lot of the stuff he says, frankly, and I don't want to hear it. But that's my right. I can just not listen to him. You know, I don't need to listen to Alex Jones. And they threw him off. And, and at the time, I said, even if we, I don't like Alex Jones's content at all, but like, why are these guys the, the arbiters of what should be censored and what should not? And we went down this road and now we're getting further down this road. We're getting to the point where people who have pretty normal conservative opinions at times are being thrown off of social media. And you see that the next step is uh, social media is not enough. Now they got to go after uh Authors. We talked about Josh Hawley's book. Um, they're getting they got that canceled. They want to go after cable networks. This is a big push for CNN right now. They're writing it up in their little media newsletter almost every night. How come we're not? How I just I don't understand. How come OAN and uh, and and Newsmax are on these cable systems? Why would Comcast approve of what OAN is doing? We just want answers. We're just asking questions. We have no interest in this. It's not like we're also a cable network that is uh, you know debating you know, going back and forth with you know viewers uh, with these people. No, no, no. It's it's just it's just because we just want what's best. And honestly, I don't even think it's about competition. It's about getting rid of conservative ideas. Uh, and you see YouTube is another example of this. They want to go in. They want to find these people that have large audiences on YouTube and get rid of them as well. Look, if you have wokeness is weakness. If you have confidence in your ideas, you don't have to worry about this sort of nonsense. You just go in there and you win. Yeah, you go in there and you win. If you have a quarterback competition, you're worried about, I don't want that person to have my job. This is totally not a commentary on the Philadelphia Eagles right now. But it's like, if you have a quarterback and that quarterback wants the job, go in there and win the job. Go in there and play better than the other guy and become the quarterback. This is what this is supposed to be. There's competition here. And instead, they just want to be like, well, I can't believe they would let another quarterback on this roster. That's just a crazy way of thinking about it. Um, Another crazy thing uh, to think is that Joe Manchin will help you when you need him. 
Uh, this is a big argument that was made before Georgia. And the concept was that none of the crazy things the left wants to happen will happen because Democrat Joe Manchin is sort of moderate occasionally and will block all of the things that Democrats want. As I said at the time, this is theater. It was theater between him and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to convince voters in Georgia to believe it was okay to vote for the Democrats because they won't have full control. After all, Joe Manchin will stop all the bad stuff. Well, here's Joe Manchin not stopping the bad stuff. Would you support, Senator, the removal of Senator Hawley and Senator Cruz through the 14th Amendment, Section 3? Well, he should look absolutely. Basically, that should be a consideration. He should under, you know, he understands that. Ted's a very bright individual, and I get along fine with Ted. But what he did was totally outside of the realm of our responsibilities. Listen to the conversations that people have had. Listen to some of the Congress people that are still speaking. You know, listen around the country, people in different law and, and elected positions. These speech for people should be held accountable because it's sedition. Hmm. Now, a lot of that was completely incoherent, so I can understand why you might not be scared about it. But basically, he's talking about them being seditious traitors, and that is not a good thing for senators to be doing to each other. Um, and it's also ridiculous, obviously. Uh, whether you agree or disagree with the uh, actions taken by some of these senators, to call them traitors and throw them out of the Senate, uh, you know, elected officials, is not, is not a good way of, of doing business. You'd think uh, Manchin would know this. And by the way, just remember that. Remember that little incoherent speech when someone tells you, oh, when it comes down to it, he's going to stop X, Y, and Z policy. He's not. When they need him as a 50th vote, he will be there as a 50th vote. If the Republicans have 57 votes, oh, you know, don't, don't, Manchin might go either way. If the Democrats have 62 votes, Joe Manchin may very well side with Republicans on an issue like that. But the bottom line is when you need him, when you need him to be the 50th vote to stop a Democratic policy, he will side with the Democrats in almost every incident. I mean, that's just who he is. That is who Joe Manchin is. And you shouldn't expect anything else from him. Back in a second. Thank you once again for sticking around to the end of the program. That makes you a certifiable member of the Stu Does America Cool Kids Club. Mm -hmm. You know what the cool kids do? Uh, well, they uh, like videos. That's what they do. You know these kids these days. They're just clicking like on every video they see, especially this one you're watching right now. So if you've come this far and enjoyed the show, click thumbs up. By the way, you can subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash stew. The promo code stew is the thing to use because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Plus, you'll save 30 bucks off your subscription for a limited time. So make sure to do that. I want to tell you another one of these stories because I could do these all day. I love these stories. They're just, they're, they're torturous, but I do love them. Guy in South Wales, he, uh, his name is James Howells. He's an IT engineer. He threw away his old hard drive from his computer. Now, that happens. Sometimes you do that sort of thing. Problem with this is he did it in 2013, and he threw out the wrong hard drive. He had two of them, threw out the wrong one. The one he threw out happened to have 7,500 Bitcoins on it. This is not the same story that I told you last week. This is a different story. 7,500 Bitcoins. The value of this is about $300 million today. He's asking the city, can I go into the landfill and just start digging through this thing? Because uh, there's $300 million in this. How about this? If I find them, I'll give you a quarter of the money, $70, $80 million. 
I'll give it to you. You can use it for whatever you want. You can start a COVID uh, you, you know, fund for the people or you, know, you can throw a nice big party, whatever you want to do with it. The city is saying, like, look, we can't do this because it's going to have environmental hazards. Plus, what if we go through this whole thing and you don't find it or you do find it and it's no longer in working condition? Uh, who's going to pay for all this stuff then? He's saying he is backing from a hedge fund that they'll cover the costs, but they will not do it so far. So somewhere in this landfill is $300 million worth of garbage. Maybe you can go find it. I mean, if you find it, I mean, you should give me 25%, though, because I was the one that told you about it and everything.